everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. The tragedies unfolding across nations are a constant yet painful reminder that the threat of terrorism remains alive and real. As weapons of mass destruction get smaller, sharper, and simpler, even a single individual can cause massive damage in cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short, referred to as CGS. This emergence of lone wolf threats in CGS presents numerous security challenges for soft targets like stadiums, malls, theaters, marketplaces, and more. A determined enemy, be it a single individual or a group of people, will likely be able to penetrate any system, event, or infrastructure across CGS. As a result, the security professionals that are entrusted with the responsibility of effectively safeguarding confined spaces across nations are acknowledging the fact that a lonely crasher, a suicide bomber, or a loner with a laptop can also potentially cause mass collateral damage. Fighting crimes and terrorism in cyberspace, geospace, and space is getting complex. The potential impact cannot be overemphasized to any nation's economy, its national security, and the critical infrastructure upon which nations depend on. The question then begs how to deal with matters of security. What can we do to prevent disasters? To discuss how to secure stadium or any confined space from security threats emerging from cyberspace, geospace, and space, I'm delighted to welcome James A. Dimio, founder and CEO of Unified Sports and Entertainment Security Consulting to Risk Roundup. Welcome, James. We're delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you, doctor, very much for this opportunity about a very timely discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, over the years, so much emphasis in the fight against criminals in geospace has been placed on military and law enforcement capabilities. Nations have come to expect that planes, tanks, helicopters, and heavily armed soldiers will be able to protect respective nations and defeat their enemies, whoever or whatever that is. Has not that reality been altered today in a digital global age? Well, certainly, uh, you know, within the confined space areas of stadiums, venues, and arenas, uh, with my work here in the United States, the threats, challenges, and vulnerabilities continue for all of us on a daily basis. So certainly, you know, being in a, a leadership position uh, in the vertical, my goal is not to instill fear, but rather create a sense of heightened awareness in terms of education, training, and career development resources for those individuals that work within the space. Very true, very true. Now, the threat of terrorism remains alive and real as we all see what is happening across nations. High-profile events provide a perfect target for a terrorist or anyone who wants to uh, cause harm or create uh, panic or create terror, uh, terrorism. So, Emil said, how best to safeguard any stadium or venues? Because there are so many so you know, sport events happening all over the world. There are so many concerts and all high-profile political rallies and so many things are happening. So many events are happening. So, how to safeguard any stadium or venue? Well, it's a terrific question. Certainly, as I mentioned at the beginning of, of the webinar, um, it's a timely discussion, right, Doctor? We know that, unfortunately, these challenges continue uh, on a daily basis. So what can we do? We have the conversation. We look at things from a holistic standpoint, uh, viewing the security industry from uh, multiple angles. That is, you know, looking at, at cyber attacks, uh, physical security, IEDs, bombs, as you mentioned, uh, the threat of terrorism, whether that's domestic, international, or the very unpredictable lone wolf. 
we look at these challenges and, and through lessons learned and best practices, we try to share that information uh, with the leaders that work within the, in the space. And, and certainly my role is to try to raise the level of professionalism and training for event staff. That would be guest services and security working with contracted law enforcement at stadiums, venues, and arenas. Trying to get everyone to speak the same language in the interest of public safety, again, without creating fear, but instilling that knowledge, that proactive risk mitigation training to get those folks to know what to do in times of crisis. There's also the buy-in with the fans uh, that they're educated as to what the tolerated behaviors are when they come out to every stadium, venue, and arena. And certainly uh, the integration of technology platforms along with responsible social media monitoring are key components uh, in terms of risk mitigation uh, within the event management vertical. That is very true. But how many events or how many event sponsors or owners do you see that are actually looking at all these different aspects, like not only educating the people who are coming to the event, but also get the staff ready or looking at what kind of intelligence they are getting from the cyberspace or social media? How, what do you see that? Do you see that the, uh, providing a safe and secure environment that we are prepared or that our event security today is effective? Do you see that effectiveness? Well, certainly, unfortunately, we don't have these discussions until something really, really bad happens. Obviously, what just came out of Manchester was a, a real tragedy in every sense of the word. And, and we look at that globally and we see how we can learn from those lessons, how we can take that intelligence gathering and analysis and knowledge uh, in addition to the research. And again, combine that with that proactive risk mitigation event staff training. So. You know, certainly the duty of care exists. It's the legal threshold uh, that ownership groups and everyone working within that space has to maintain. They have to provide a safe and secure environment. But it's finding that balance between an amazing fan experience without creating an overzealous police state, if you will. It's finding that balance between, you know, effective screening measures on the ingress, that things are done uh, safely and expeditiously without causing choke points or bottlenecks. Uh, and certainly uh, on the way out in terms of those egress and those soft target entertainment zones on the exterior perimeters of stadiums, venues, and arenas, which are quite vulnerable, as we've seen recently uh, this past week in, in Manchester. So, well, you know, certainly, um, you know, lessons learned is a prevailing theme. And, and, you know, what we've learned out of Manchester and obviously Turkey and Nice, the Boston Marathon bombing certainly was a game changer in the sports security uh, space. But you know, the ability to, to raise the standards in terms of training, certifications, continuing education, research. I think it's something that, you know, when we look at securing mega events, if you will, uh, the resources that go into, uh, you know, safeguarding those spaces may not be the same level of resources that you may see at a 5K or a festival or, you know, some type of a carnival in your local town or community. So certainly from high school football all the way up to AAA baseball, Major League Baseball, professional sports, the Olympics, you know, obviously, you know, mega events to mini events, everyone has that entrusted duty of care, doctor. So, you know, moving forward now, we, we, we learn our lessons and obviously, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to the victims in Manchester. It was certainly, you know, a tragedy. But around the world now, obviously, we're looking at this from a holistic standpoint, realizing whether it's a cyber threat, you know, again, whether it's a workplace violence situation, it could be, again, the threat of terrorism, and it could be anything like an intoxicated fan and dealing with, you know, an effective alcohol beverage control program. 
Yes, when we run these events, you know, A through Z, you know, we need the fans to buy into the mantra of seeing something, saying something, letting somebody know immediately if something doesn't look, you know, uh, normal to them. Uh, but it comes down to personal situational awareness and sharing that information uh, with contracted law enforcement, guest services, security, working within the venues uh, to, again, try to mitigate that risk uh, as, as safely as possible. And I always use the analogy that, unfortunately, Nobody bats a thousand in the insurance, excuse me, in the uh, in the security industry, but certainly from an insurance standpoint or a reduced premium, um, I think uh, sports entities are well served with proactive risk mitigation training because I think that places them in a very very good position uh, in the event uh, they don't want to be uh, explaining six months down the road why they didn't proactively train their staff or deploy their staff. Uh, you know, effectively, if there was some type of adverse situation in the venue. So, you know, we look at it from, you know, the inherent risk, the duty of care. Uh, we look at it in terms of, you know, lessons learned, as I mentioned. But certainly at the end of the day, we move forward and we do the best we can with the resources that we have uh, to protect the vertical. Yes, of course. Now, when you course, say when you they need to have that training available, what time needs to be part of that? Well, it's sure, you know, and I, I pride myself and, and my company is US ESC, but, you know, my, my mantra, if you will, is, you know, getting beyond those five minute huddles. So the days of kind of congregating with the yellow jackets, the event staffers five minutes before tip off or kickoff or what have you, those days, doctor, are behind us based on the ebb and flow challenges that we're seeing, uh, you know, within the space. So. Uh, it's certainly something where, you know, someone like myself could be brought in from the from the outside looking in to try to offer, uh, you know, after doing a site, a, a threat and vulnerability assessment, taking a look at things from the outside in and sharing my knowledge. Because sometimes it's just a question of they're real busy running different events, 250 to 300 events a year. They may not have the time to proactively train their staff because they're changing demographics each night. For instance, you may have a circus one night. And two nights later, you may have a football game. And then the following night, you may have a hockey game. And then back to some type of a, a carnival, if you will. So within a week, you could have three, four, or five different types of demographics coming to your venue. So certainly being a proactive security manager overseeing that space, it's incumbent upon you to do the research of the performer and certainly the demographics of the patrons that are, are going to be coming to your venue to watch that particular performer. Certainly here... Uh, with Manchester, we saw Ariana Grande. It was, you know, obviously women and children, you know, moms and daughters. That was a certain targeted demographic. So we have to learn from that lesson and prepare accordingly uh, based on the people, the, the crowds that will be coming to our stadiums, venues, and arenas while we safeguard that space. Yes, very true. Now, preparing the organizers or owners is one thing, but preparing the participants, spectators, or people who come to watch concerts or people who come to take part in the games or to watch the sports, that's a whole different thing. So how to prepare the audience? What to do in case there is a someone who is trying to shoot or if there is a bomb scare or if there is a drone you know, security threat or if there is a suicide bomber? steps they should take? Well, you know, as you as you would think of, you know, being a patient going to see your doctor, right? You're the best patient when you have the most amount of education when you tell, you know, your doctor your symptoms. Okay, well, it's the same thing in, in the event management vertical. The better educated the fans are, 
uh, as to what to expect. In other words, get out to the, the venue two, two and a half hours earlier to avoid extended lines. You know, whatever the tolerated behaviors are, I think it's a joint partnership, a harmonious relationship between the venue ownership groups and the well-paying fans that everyone understands exactly before they come out to the venue. You know, what, what the rules are, obviously. And, and obviously, everyone working together to make this an enjoyable experience because it's really about our freedoms. And obviously, the threat of terrorism is aimed at, you know, kind of limiting our freedoms and making us afraid of enjoying our everyday lives. And, and we want to combat that, obviously, with knowledge, training, and education. So it's really a partnership, uh, Doctor, if you would, between, again, the ownership groups, the fans, everyone sharing the same information, uh, the utilization of technology platforms, again, uh, certainly uh, professional sports groups, for instance, the Gold State Warriors utilize iBeacon technology. Uh, they have, you know, a worldwide brand, obviously. Uh, they're vying for yet another NBA championship. But in Northern California, they have the ability through their apps to connect with their fan base. So just as quickly as you could order a hot dog or, or upgrade your seats, if you see an intoxicated fan in Section 101, you can anonymously send a text to the security command center, and that risk can be mitigated as quickly and safely as possible. Yes, very true. The smart stadiums that are emerging, they bring all, it's a very different complex kind of security challenges they bring because there, are, there is going to be so many threats coming from the cyberspace and that needs to be monitored. But we'll address smart stadiums in uh, another episode. But right now, let's focus on uh, broader event security because not every event that is happening across nation is happening in a smart environment. There's still, you know, depending on the nature of the event, it it will require what kind of security that needs to be in place. And it's a not very financially economical for having a very holistic approach or having a very, very thorough, detailed uh, security presence for each and every event. It costs a lot of money. So when we don't have those kind of security uh, parameters available or security uh, that a proper any event should require what how can we make sure that the event goes safely without any security threats because the local police department the lo local law enforcement also has uh, some security intelligence with them and uh, hopefully there is interagency cooperation so is that enough for events where they cannot afford to have proper security measures? Well, it's a terrific question. And certainly, uh, you, you can never have enough security resources within a confined space, right? We're talking about those densely populated areas where we're trying to prevent, you know, bottlenecks and, and choke points. And I had the good fortune of op opening the Barclays Center a few years ago in Brooklyn. So you can imagine 18,000 basketball fans leaving that venue in a very, very tight space. And let's say that some of them were drinking alcohol for several hours as they were exiting the venue. It, it is a prime terrorist target in terms of densely populated areas. And then obviously alcohol affects people differently. So maybe not having quick reflexes or what have you, it presents a challenge in terms of trying to safely, you know, um, egress that kind of scenario. So I, I look at, you know, law enforcement getting out to the venue, doing walkthroughs, computer simulations, uh, tabletop exercises, obviously a face to a name. So in other words, when contract law enforcement goes out, they meet the security directors and the managers, they meet the supervisors for the event staff. So everybody kind of knows that particular show is gonna go 
they go over, you know, kind of uh, what's tolerated, you know, if it's lasers or whatever, balloons or masks or whatever is allowed or not allowed, photography, you know, based upon the wishes of the performer, you know. So we want to look at these things, but we also want to deploy our staff effectively and efficiently. Now, we saw here in Manchester, obviously, from all indications were that there wasn't really any staff on the exterior perimeters uh, where this individual had caused this this obviously tragic situation. So we want to look at that and see how we can effectively um, deploy our resources, both on ingress, on entry, and as well as on the egress. Um, because certainly, I think professional sports does a very good job with effective screening measures throughout stadiums, venues, and arenas when fans come into the venue. We need to look at those, again, those extended perimeters, and that could be bike patrol, that could be you know, obviously law enforcement, uh, you know, going through the parking lots, looking for ticket scalping, narcotic sales, uh, certainly at some of the larger events, we've had issues with human trafficking. There's all these different scenarios. So we need a buy-in from tourism as well, from hotels, you know, that are lodging individuals, you know, who may be going out to a mega event to share that information. If someone looks suspicious or someone comes to the parking lot two miles away from the stadium and it doesn't feel right to let law enforcement know you know, get that plate information and have those folks that have those resources look into any potential trouble spots before, obviously, people enter the stadium. Yes. Now, those are very complex challenges because to define perimeter, what needs to be protected and how to protect it, it's a very complex challenge. And if you are talking about part outside, like what happened in the Manchester, it was not inside the venue. It, it happened outside. And if you look at parking lots, it's very difficult to secure that. All There are so many cars that are parked. Now, in which car, if there is any explosive, uh, it's not going to be that easy to identify that if a car is uh, carrying some explosive material. So in the coming years, hopefully, with the use of drone technology, with the use of robots, we will be able to manage those kind of security risks probably a little bit better than what we are able to do at the moment. But if, if, if I may ask if somebody is organizing an event, a concert or a sports, what is required in a pre-event planning? How do they decide the event uh, plan uh, owners how, or sponsors? How do they decide which security company they should uh, you know, go and uh, hire for managing their security uh, for the for their event. What criteria or parameters they should look at? Well, again, it's a terrific question. If you look at professional sports, in many cases, uh, the ownership groups have a very, very small in-house security contingent, if you will. I was part of that with AEG at the Barclays Center, and we contracted with uh, Securitas uh, when we opened that building. So you will have third-party contracted security. But I think the keys are to have those security managers, you know, obviously from the ownership groups and from contract security, meeting before the events, talking about, you know, again, I talk about circles and circles, squares and squares, but putting your, your most effective communicators, you know, uh, in direct contact with the fans. And again, that's the customer service side, but engaging with them to see if anything, through conversations, to see if anything looks suspicious. You know, creating conversation, welcoming them to the venue, but certainly you know, the staff that is well-skilled in verbal communication and de-escalation, I think, is very, very important. But, you know, to your question, you know, our work continues. It, it's not, it, it's, to me, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, niche market, which is getting, garnering uh, a lot of attention around the world, but it requires constant study, constant improvement, 
you know, to your earlier point, I mean, having canine dogs sweeping the exterior perimeters, you know, before the show, after the show, you know, utilizing mounted horses, you know, for horses and, and police to have a higher point of view to see the parking lots, binoculars, whatever it takes. Um, it, it really is a, you know, 24-7, 365 day kind of, you know, approach to this because the one thing that will keep these ownership groups up at night is, is to have a tragic incident happen at their stadium venue and arena. So the days of looking at it, doctor, as it's not going to happen at my venue are behind us. You know, it could very well happen. We're not there to scare anyone, but certainly during operational discussions, uh, security, I think, has gotten a closer seat to the head of the table in terms of business uh, continuity, resiliency, and certainly, you know, brand protection uh, within a multi-billion dollar juggernaut, which is sports and entertainment. Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, we, we all know that digital global age has uh, changed the completely how security addre is addressed. We are no, no longer looking at risk coming only from the geospace, but we are also looking at risk coming from cyberspace and space. Anybody who has a laptop, they can uh, probably uh, create ch challenges for any sec uh, security event, like any uh, stadium or any uh, uh, concert or any kind of political rally. So how is the security risk intelligence if we talk about how is that collected because it's no longer about just getting law enforcement and if they have you know identified any uh, security intelligence you know if they have come to know of any security threat it's also about how to effectively get some security intelligence from the cyberspace social media is one thing but a lot of times even though the communication is happening on the social media about a possibility of attack or uh, about uh, someone, some group trying to uh, have a security threat or uh, trying to create a terrorist act. That data knowledge is perhaps on the social media, but there is no effective way of integrating or getting it in a timely manner. So how do we, uh, Some I, I read some reports that in Manchester, what happened, there was some information available on Twitter, but that was not uh, made available. I'm not sure if that is accurate information, but if it is, then that was not made available in a timely manner. If it was, then we could have prevented this. So how do we prevent these kind of incidents? Well, again, you know, certainly your research is right on point and, and terrific questions that you're asking. You know, when you look at the potential of a cyber breach, I mean, a few years ago, um, you know, obviously in San Antonio, uh, the air conditioning went out when LeBron James was playing for the Miami Heat. And the first initial thoughts was, was this some type of, you know, terrorist attack, a, a you know, a brownout or a cybersecurity breach or what have you. It turned out to be a facilities-related issue. Same thing with the Super Bowl several years ago when the lights went out. And, you know, credit to the NFL, they kept the players on the field during that scenario. Again, a facilities-related issue. But, you know, when you look at brownouts, when you look at malware, when you look at all these challenges – uh, in the cyber world, the ability uh, for someone to, you know, breach that mainframe, it's there. So we have to look at, you know, what we can do in terms of, you know, cybersecurity breaches. And, and that's not really my specialty, but certainly, you know, I work with people, or at least I try to align myself with people that ask the same questions that you just asked me, because these are, you know, great challenges that we're dealing with. And certainly, if somebody has the ability to lock all the venue doors, let's say, or someone has the ability to, you know, infiltrate infiltrate the air conditioning uh, system and disperse some type of chemical, biological, or even radiological agent 
The same thing you could with, do with a drone, theoretically. Um, those are challenges that we have to look at. Uh, I was thinking earlier, also, this year's Boston Marathon, they used two tethered drones at the starting line for the first time. So that was kind of a bird's eye in the sky just to monitor uh, crowd demographics and to see if anything was out of the ordinary. So, so certainly, you know, drone technology is, is becoming, uh, you know, more prevalent in the space. But certainly the anarchist groups out there could utilize that technology for destructive reasons. And we saw just, I think last week, uh, at Petco Park in San Diego, a drone, from, most likely from a hobbyist, ended up crashing into a fan. Okay, but that, yeah, so we're seeing that this is happening in the U.S. Open a few years ago, the tennis Open, same kind of thing. So have a look at all these, yeah, all these different challenges, Doctor, and you know, we certainly need to, you know, but look at, you know, obviously it's best practices, it's just, I mean, it is a multi-billion dollar industry. I think functions are starting to realize the need for bringing in, you know, a certain amount of expertise. Um, someone, someone, again, on the outside side, looking again, just, just add an extra layer of protection, if you will, uh, to do business continuity and operation. So, there's many of us working in the space, uh, the NCSS, which is the National Center for Spectator Sports Safety and Security. Uh, they're with Southern Mississippi. They do certifications for venue staff. Uh, Dr. Lou and I have a good relationship. There's the International Association of Venue Managers in the Grapevine, Dallas, Texas area. Again, talking about protection and certifications and training uh, from venue staff. Uh, I had the ability and, and the good fortune of working on a poster project uh, with two professors that was presented at NASM, which is North American Sport Management, last June in Orlando. And that was about um, the, the uh, effect of guest services and security on the overall fan experience. So it's really finding that balance and giving the fans options. And certainly, you know, we don't want them to be scared. We want them to be safe and, and enjoyable. But we're seeing now, even with TSA, the next time we go to the airport, things are going to be a little bit different, right, in terms of how they check our bags and, and the lines may be a little bit longer. But this is the world we live in, doctor. And these are the sacrifices we must make in order to live in a safer world. Very true, very true. And like you said, that the drones, while they are there for bringing the security, they are also they, they also could be hacked and they could become itself a security threat. So drone, the airspace, right, if it's outside even, then we need to be watching for that. And we also need to have a different cyber security experts and different physical security experts. So they all, all the security personnel from cyber security, space and space. They have to work together. Do they work together? Again, another terrific question. If we're working in different silos, then we're really not accomplishing anything, right? You're obviously, if, you, if your strength is cybersecurity and mine is physical security for event management, and we're not having this conversation, we're really not working together. So I'm really thankful for this opportunity to kind of share some of my insight and the ability uh, with you and, and obviously the risk group LLC to try to reach a larger audience, right? To get this message out. But certainly if we have individual experts and no one is speaking to one another and no one is sharing uh, information because we're in different silos, um, we're really, it's really kind of a self-defeating kind of proposition in terms of you know, securing that space. So certainly having roundtable discussions and sharing information and learning from one another. And I always pride myself realizing I don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but if I surround myself with cyber experts, with workplace violence experts, with physical security experts, with, uh, again, drone experts, whoever it may be working with the space, there's always strength in numbers. So if we have that ability to kind of team together, share information, 
Uh, you know, again, lessons learned is the prevailing theme, but certainly we can do everything we can possible, you know, to make the event safe, again, without, you know, creating a police state. We want the fans to come back time and time again. We want them to feel safe. And it's really our duty of care, that legal threshold, as I mentioned, that we're responsible, you know, for their safety. So certainly Manchester moving forward, you know, the eyes of the world are on that tragedy, but we have to move forward. You know, hearts, thoughts, and prayers obviously go out to the families, but we have to learn the things that went wrong, the things that went right, and how do we improve upon that for the next time that we do have some type of a show where potentially we could have another uh, terrorist attempt. Absolutely. absolutely. What would you what like, would to, like tell to tell our global viewers and listeners about your organization? Absolutely, Doctor. Uh, my name is James A. DeMeo. I'm the founder, president, and CEO of Unified Sports and Entertainment Security Consulting. I'm based in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been in the industry for 26 years, 21 of which I was in law enforcement, retired as a detective from the Nassau County Police Department on Long Island, New York. Uh, my, my passion for sports continues and my love of, per, of public service and being a servant leader continues. Um, so really for me, it's just moving forward, sharing information, working with you know, uh, really enlightened folks like yourself to help me reach a larger audience, uh, looking at security from a holistic uh, perspective and just trying to share information, again, not creating fear, but certainly through knowledge and training, you know, reaching a larger audience and just getting, you know, the fans to understand that we're all in this together. You know, we want everyone to be safe and I'm here. And my goal really is to, um, to really train those events, staff, personnel, uh, security and guest services to the highest level and degree of professionalism possible uh, working within that space. And, and again, I designed those uh, carefully, uh, uh, training modules, if you will, for uh, guest services and security. So that's really my role, doctor, is research, sharing information, you know, being a voice and trying to be a leader in an ever-changing and fascinating uh, sports security industry. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, James, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on securing stadiums and events. Our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the complex challenges of confined space security. Even if a single individual or entity across nations can come up with an idea to innovate and advance the security based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today, this risk round of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you, Doctor, very much. Good. So when the changing when the changing nature of security threats in cyberspace, geospace, and space are bringing new sets of challenges and complexities to individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, collective brainstorming is a necessity to have an objective evaluation of what is a threat and how can it be secured. This group, Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center is created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It's not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, 
it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace let's manage the existing and emerging risks together for more information on the risk roundups to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share until next time i'm jayashree pandya host of risk roundup signing off see you next time thank you